This is for the nerds, this is for the brainiacs, this is what we deserve Go ahead and play it back, you ain't gonna touch me You not gonna do nothing, you are not above me I bet you wish you was me, I know that I know What is poppin' everybody? And welcome back to another special episode of the Only Friends Podcast. Well, you know, it's me and my only friends, which includes, but is not limited to, my boy Hunt. What's poppin', Hunt? Hey, Conrad, good to have you back. How you feeling, baby? Doing well. How are you? I'm chillin', I'm chillin'. You're good. Where you been? Northeast, right? Yeah, I was all around Northeast for a little bit. Sounds good. Little, Any tournaments? We did no. We did a little um, bit of Lake Tahoe before that. Okay, that was fun. Nice. Been uh, all over. Yeah, good time. What's well, poppin', Burke? Oh, you know, <laughs> just uh, just really tested my my abilities today. You know, we got a lot <laughs> to cover. Uh, today is going to be a a show. It's going to be a show. Let's 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 start with that. It's always a show. It is always a show, but today is going to be a a show. A show with it's, like italics. Yeah, it's it's a show. <laughs> Not a shit show. Well, <laughs> well, Brian, to be determined. Yeah. Uh, we got a lot to cover today. It's going to be a dense one. Uh, so much so that I'm I'm delaying bringing up a nice nice nugget for for hunt the chew on here in the early goings but okay you're boy. delaying all right I, i'm 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 leaning into I it i will look forward to that I'll, I'll get to it in a second so we have a lot to cover today we are going to be going over the latest on the gg um potential super user which was outed on two plus two this was happening at the micro stakes like 10 nl we're going to get into that uh into a little bit of detail also, Jay Nandez posted an update for the current bot situation on ACR, whether or not they're even beatable, uh, and how much money they've taken out of the local pool. So we're going to discuss that in hopes of amplifying that message. Uh, also, huge uh, social media wave over the last like 36 hours or so with this Phenom Poker app. What the fuck is it? We're going to get into it a little bit. Uh, I've been DMing back and forth with what I believe to be is the founder. Not sure. Um, so I'm going to discuss a little of Could what be just some random guy. We don't know. That would be incredible. <laughs> <laughs> it's just Bill. Honestly, if it was just like a random dude named John that was like <laughs> not equipped to answer any questions, that would be uh, remarkable. Just a troll impersonating the guy yeah. that you think you're talking to. <laughs> yeah, it really would be great. Uh, and then finally, we're going to wrap today's show with uh, a big chunk of strat chat. Hunt put out a fire tweet the other day. Oh, I love it. GTO versus exploitative and why both matter. Uh, so we're going to dig in deep to that. But before we do, I want to remind you guys that we uh, are happy to be involved with WPT Global again. I'm going to be heading to Montreal next week for a meetup game. So that will be taking place on January 31st. You can come hang out with myself, Schwan Lu, and John Van Fleet, a.k.a. Ape Styles, the man himself. Uh, we're going to be playing, I believe, a little 1-3, no limit, 1-2, whatever they spread up there. Uh, you know, Canadian. So effectively, we're playing, you know, tiddlywinks, yeah. <laughs> as, far, as far as I'm concerned. Um, there's also going to be a $2,200 uh high roller that begins that same day 
as well as a 1K or an $1,100 main event that is the following day. I'll be in both of those as well. Uh, so you can look forward to coming and hanging and, you know, being a part of all the festivities. Congratulations on your second. Uh, yes, thank you. Uh, we don't win <laughs> tournaments around here, okay? <laughs> don't want to change the, the public perception at all. Uh, a couple promos that you guys should be aware of is there's a 3K last longer on two of the key winter uh, classic events. The 200K guarantee event number three, this is a $350 mystery bounty with 11 start days and times. Uh, so you can see that here on the schedule. The person who lasts the longest in that will um, earn $3,000. There are some qualifiers for the last longer. You must create a new WPT Global account, make a deposit minimum $20 in January or February of 2024, or have a minimum account balance of $500 USD. And I believe that applies to people who already have a WPT Global account. Uh, finally, you have to wear a WPT Global patch which will be provided on site during the entire tournament. The other event that will be offering this 3K last longer is the 500K guarantee event number 13. That's an 1150 main event with three start days. Again, you can see that here on the schedule. Uh, so just remember, you just got to get patched up and make sure that you have an account whenever you're there playing. Um, and, you know, it's just all free money at that point. Uh, download the WPT Global app to play in daily satellites and win your seat into the main event for as little as $9.95. You can find the link to that in the description below, or you can hit hashtag WPT Global in the chat for that link yourself. Uh, otherwise, you know, I'll see you in the cold. Mm -hmm. I, I look like a, you're already ready for I'm, it. Yeah, bro, this I, Vegas weather, man. I have a I question can't. about Montreal. Do they play with the French deck of cards in no. Montreal? No. Uh, okay, it's uh, different. It is. It is. I, I, Ten years ago or so, I played in France, and mm -hmm. I looked down. I sat down to play the first hand. Looked down, six of spades. And a V on a card, <laughs> and I was like, "That's a, that's a okay, jack. It's, it's a jack, jack right? Yeah, it's trois yeah. oh, dames valet instead of king queen jack." And it, it took me a couple minutes. Like, shit, what's king queen and jack in French? And yeah. I, I figured it out. But like the first hand, it was V six of spades. I was like, "What the hell is that?" And I had to actually look I wonder at the if picture. Everybody knew. I, yeah, I mean, I, I assume they did because I was like, "What?" <laughs> but like, I had to look at the picture on the yeah. card to be like, "Okay, that I think that's a jack. It's not king six. I'm gonna fall." That's amazing. Yeah, uh, really funny. You know, Canada is still an American or American, <laughs> an English speaking nation outside of Montreal. So yeah, I just wasn't sure about Quebec. That's uh, all. Yeah, I've 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 been to playground once before. Uh, I fired like eight or nine bullets into their five K WPT. I, think I remember right. when that happened. I yeah, did I not make day that. two. Oh man, that was such a miserable experience. That was not because of the 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 place or anything. It was just me. I was just like internally so miserable. Oh, you fired just nine bullets play, and just the, playing a forty-five k. Yeah, 45K. yeah. <laughs> AK, you were it was playing Canadian. a tournament. I, well, it, you know, it's it's like okay, so it's like a thirty-six k yeah. or something. <laughs> you never played a thirty-six k? Come on, get off your soapbox. Don't act all high and mighty here. That's true. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I but, shouldn't talk. But yeah, uh, <laughs> to give you the little nugget that you on, we don't even have time for this, but it's just too good to not talk about with you here. Have you heard what the WWE has done? Uh, it depends. Uh, they've sold w they've sold Monday Night Raw to Netflix. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It's now going to be a live event. Mm -hmm. I assume still on Mondays, but to be determined, mm -hmm. I guess. On it's Netflix. now just WWE Raw. Yeah. Right. Right. Uh, and they they sold it for I think two billion. I thought it was more than that. I thought it was five. It might have been five billion. I thought I, it was five billion. billion. I yeah. stopped listening. Well, mm -hmm. the, the, I read about it, and what the deal is is like they it's not just the show that they sold it's all like outside of the u.s 
basically all of their programming is going to be on Netflix in every country that Netflix operates in. Mm. So wide reach. Yeah. So in the in the US they have like Peacock or whatever that shows a lot of their stuff. <laughs> well, Peacock um, owns USA. Right. Uh, and yeah. So yeah. they have USA Network. They have yeah, yeah. They, basically it's like spread out across a bunch of networks and stuff. But everywhere in the world that gets Netflix is now going to get all WWE programming. Well, uh, I, I don't. I think crazy. there's a caveat to that. So the way I understood it. If you haven't already, mm -hmm. please like, subscribe, smash that <laughs> bell. Uh, the way that I understood it was that everything was basically being escalated up a level from mm. all of those widespread networks. So I believe right. SmackDown was previously on Fox. It was on, yeah, it changes <clears throat> it was, around a it lot. It was on a non-Peacock network. Right, it was on Fox, yeah. Okay, so the way I understand it is they're now transitioning that to the Peacock network, and it's mm. going to be on USA. Okay. And then everything yeah. that was previously on Peacock is moving to Netflix. That makes sense. Uh, I'm not positive of this. I, I'm basing it off of like a three minute conversation I heard on Pat McAfee show. Okay. Yeah, um, I think I think it's uh, I think it's something along those lines. I don't I don't know uh, I don't know exactly, but it's interesting. I haven't watched WWE in a while, but it's it's interesting for How sure. How much is the WWE worth? A lot. Oh yeah. They just like, sold this for billions. one show for. This uh, amount. There it, was, it's actually, probably, I'll find it. Yeah, I can't remember how much they were sold to when uh, the the UFC company like bought them out, but like, or when they had the merger. But it's a lot. It's like one of one of the biggest sports companies for sure. Um. Well, it's got to be worth a hell of a lot more now. I would because, expect so. Yeah. Because the current. Oh no. What have you done? What have you oh, done? It's okay. It was it was a small setback. The current Google search uh, has it at. Not very much. Really? Uh, 1.35 billion. That's of 2022. That's definitely not right. <laughs> it's got to be worth a multiple cannot be of that. Right. They, so, get paid, they get paid $60 million a show for the Saudi Arabia shows that they do. Wow. So like if you're getting, if the company's getting paid 60 million for one show in Saudi Arabia. Well, they, they also just sold for right. like 5 yeah, billion. Exactly. Like they, they cannot yeah. possibly yeah. be right, guys, So on October 19th, to, uh, 2023, it says that they were worth nine point five eight. That sounds a little, that sounds a little bit more realistic. Yeah. It sounds yeah. a little bit. I think I was thinking it's like probably, twenty. Yeah, it's probably approaching twenty at this point because they also signed another deal uh, during all of this that um, I'm not entirely sure what it was, but I think it had something to do with the Saudi, like the Saudi wrestling tour, or whatever yeah, the fuck the, they're creating the, there. The Saudi thing is crazy. The Saudi, like the Saudi royal family, just I guess they were really into wrestling like thirty years ago. Because they just decided to throw money at them to to, to bring out Conrad. to bring out like all the old wrestlers who've retired and do shows in Saudi Arabia. Mm -hmm. Like they, I, I heard a story about one of them requested that they wanted to bring in Yokozuna for a show, and they didn't know that he He's was dead. dead. Yeah, right? they didn't know that he was dead. <laughs> oh my this, god! Saudi, John Lennon's wife. This what's that? <laughs> 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 nice there um, it is. but nice. yeah like they they were like requesting these wrestlers and, and vince mcmahon had to be like uh he's dead no he's dead he retired like he i had a i had a public feud with him so he won't do anything for us now like all of this stuff that the saudi guys were re requesting it was really funny yeah so anyway pretty wild uh i i wanted i wanted to bring that up while you were here i know you're yeah. an avid fan uh, not, not so much avid of wwe these days i was gonna yeah. say i know you jumped jump ship i didn't so much jump ship i just kind of like a, a new company started that was more fun to watch than WWE. So I just kind of like, that was what I, you know, preferred. And there was a long time where WWE was, was absolutely terrible. Like there was, 
probably four or five years where it was unwatchably bad at times. And mm. there was, that, that was a period where I just didn't watch wrestling. And then a company came along that actually made a good TV product. And so I started watching that, you know? Okay. I hear you. Hey, each their own, you know? Exactly. We all, exactly. We all have opinions and belly buttons. It's fine. Um, all right. Some are <laughs> any, some are outie. Let's, uh, let's, let's get to some opinions here. Um, the, the most recent... I don't know if you want to call it Twitter storm, but the, the, you know, Twitter works in news cycles and the most recent news that's captured everybody's eyes. I got a bunch of texts this morning. What, what is this? What is this? I don't know. Yada, yada, yada. Right. Uh, Phenom poker. Uh, well, I guess Phenom poker app is the, uh, technical Twitter handle here. Uh, they seem to, I don't want to call it a soft launch because I don't think that's what happened, but it seems as though they're getting close to their beta launch, uh, which as of two days ago, nobody knew what, what this was. So there was a big social media wave where all of their ambassadors basically copied and pasted the exact same message and tweeted out. And I remember like watching from afar thinking like, man, this is pretty sharp because so many times in the past, uh, I've been a part of, you know, some sort of in, engagement or activation with a company um, and they maybe hired like three or four of us. And they basically just say like, you know, make it organic, make it your own, but put out a couple tweets this week about this event that you're going to be a part of. Similar to like what I'm doing right now with WPT Global and uh, Playground, right? It's like, you know, just let the people know your job is simply to inform. And it's like, yeah, that's really good. And it's organic. So people, you know, they, they don't, they don't take to it like it's shilling, but it doesn't really have the widespread impact that you hope it to unless it gets shared a bunch. So now it's kind of on me as the creator to do something that's funny or engaging or whatever that will get people retweeting and sharing with their friends so that they all come out to the event. This was a different tactic. This was just kind of like a united front of we're going to get a dozen ambassadors to kind of like just copy and paste this message so that no matter who you follow, you're going to see it. It'll be on your timeline. Yeah, right. Like at some point it'll be on your timeline mm -hmm. and you're going to ask yourself, what the fuck is Phenom Poker? Yeah. Like, what is this thing? Yeah, I feel proud of myself now because the only way I found out about it was because you posted it in our group chat. I don't, really? follow, I don't follow any of the people that were tweeting about yeah, but it, you don't have, well, Hunt actually right. muted poker. I have, like, actively tried to distance myself from most of poker Twitter, so that's probably why. But, but I'm, you torture I'm, yourself with the politics. Yeah, I do, exactly. Come back to poker. I've, I've started to try to reduce that stuff, too. The, the yeah. stuff I torture with torture myself with now is just pointless stuff that doesn't matter right bro hunt is gonna be inconsolable come like september uh, uh, <laughs> he's gonna be begging for poker listen, updates yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll hold your hand and go down the down with you on the ship you're, you're assuming twitter's gonna make it till september <laughs> <laughs> x guys x yeah exactly x x is about to get x the fuck out uh, <laughs> all right so uh yeah i wasn't all that curious I, a lot of my friends seem to be ambassadors for this like a lot of the the old school guys that i've been grinding with for a while i saw baldy i saw jy uh justin young a few others kind of like putting their foot forward and, and being a part of this it was like okay well i'm interested but i didn't care that much because uh you know the the uniform message that was coming out was basically like this is a thing and i'm excited about it and it's like i just tend not to click on that stuff what captured my attention was actually rast who did not copy and paste but instead like put out a very long and well thought out message i would say um 
and he basically spoke a little bit about uh, Matt Vallejo, the founder, uh, and how he presented him with this new opportunity for this poker site. Um, you know, Ras basically saying he's a long crypto advocate and he thinks that they have some solutions involved here. Now, for anybody who doesn't know, in the past, Rast was a part of Virtue Poker. Now, I'm happy to tell this fucking story on air. <laughs> uh, Virtue Poker, I don't know what their ultimate deal was. I don't know what came of them, but I do know that they were, uh, for lack of a better term, scumbags. In 20, 2017, uh, well, I shouldn't say they were scumbags. They were, they were incredibly <laughs> young, but they, they did scumbaggery things. Mm -hmm. uh, so in 2017, had a sit-down dinner with them in Florida. It was me and Dan Coleman. Uh, met with the, the founders that you know were heavy on the ETH chain um, and had this big vision to bring poker to the block. So they wanted to move it onto the blockchain. They had this unique way to uh, secure the deck, basically, to secure the RNG such that they were using the blockchain technology to basically uh, replicate the ledger when it came to the shuffle, right? So like a bunch of different computers were going to have to confirm uh, the previous ledger in order to get the shuffle out. And, you know, it created a slight delay, but not enough that you would notice. Um, and it was very secure, right? So it was, it was great, well-thought-out technology. Uh, and it seemed like they were going to attempt to use blockchain technology to ensure that customer funds were segregated. You know, all the, all the problems that in 2016, 2017 were apparent to us that poker sites were failing at, right? We weren't that far removed from Black Friday at this point. Everybody knew the Ponzi that Full Tilt Poker was. And that's where our eyes were kind of focused on when it came to security measures because regulated poker was pretty new. I think WSOP was around for like two and a half, three years at that point, you know? Um, and we just thought like, okay, we need to cure what failed us for Black Friday, which is segregating funds. Mm -hmm. This seemed like a reasonable solution. Uh, they had a white paper. Everything was great. They were going to create a token. Um, I don't really call the tokenomics of it. It was 2017. We weren't sharp on this shit. Yeah. Shit coins were flying all over the place. We just heard token and project and assumed that they went together and everything was going to be great. So I left that meeting, got an email. Uh, basically offering me 250k to be an ambassador for Virtue Poker. They were willing to pay me out either all in ETH uh, or a mix, or sorry, all in ETH, all in their token, or a mix of the two. And their token was set to launch like September 2017 or something like that. So send it to my lawyer. He looks over the contract, says that like everything is on the up and up. I fill it out. I send it back. Like two weeks later. Uh, we're supposed to, or maybe a week later, the turnaround was rather quick. Uh, Rumble in the Jungle Week on PokerGo was was happening for Poker After Dark. And it was me, Rast, Ike, Jungleman, Polk, uh, Jason Kuhn, and maybe one other that I'm soft forgetting. Soft lineup. Super soft lineup. They wanted us to promote Virtue. So they tell me they're going to send me like patches, all this other stuff. Now, mind you, I haven't gotten the completed contract yet. Mm -hmm. So I'm like waiting for my Virtue, you know, shit to wear. It doesn't come. So I follow up and I say, you know, what's going on here? Like, and they're like, oh, it's in the mail. It's in the mail. It's going to be there before the game. Don't worry about it. So I get there. I never get the stuff. I get to the game. Rast is decked out head to toe in virtue poker. I'm like, <laughs> the fuck? I got nothing. So I come home and I email them like, you know, what's going on? Ghost. Like a month and a half later, they announced that they've signed Ivy to be an ambassador. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, that's fine. But like... We literally got to the point of executing the contract and then I just never fucking heard from them again. 
until like two years ago when they had followed up for some other reason that I don't recall. Uh, I believe it had something to do with, I don't, I don't, I don't want to speculate on air because it involves somebody else in our company. But anyway, um, basically they were like looking to, to, you know, get some work out of some portion of our company or whatever. And at that point it was just like, Oh, whatever your project's dead. I don't really give a shit. Whatever happens, happens. So I tell that story basically because the company ultimately failed, right? Like whatever they set out to do mm-hmm. was a complete and utter failure. Now, this isn't necessarily that, at least not fully to my understanding. It seems like it has some aspects of that. It seems like they might be using similar shuffling technology. They are creating some sort of coin uh, or a token. Um, and, you know, in this thread with Rast, JMO kind of comes in. He asks, how is this different from Virtue? Uh, Rast gave a very lengthy uh, reply. Um, You guys are welcome to read if you want. But he basically just said, like, he feels like they're different projects uh, with different things in mind. Um, Eventually, this turned into uh, a back and forth between JMO and I assume either the founder or whoever's doing PR for Phenom Poker, where they said, basically, Virtue was trying to be fully on-chain. We're not. Uh, JMO kind of demonstrates like some things that he thinks is wrong with this they have a back and forth yada 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 so uh this led to me tweeting out um something to the effect of like uh, i i actually tweeted before i saw this thread uh if i'd saw this thread first i would have just ignored i guess or not ignored but like just read the thread instead uh, but i tweeted out something similar like i saw this and it was like okay well how is this different than virtue poker can anybody explain and uh they they basically said like Feel free to slide into the DMs and uh, I'll be happy to explain. So I did. Started DMing with them. Uh, We've had a pretty cordial back and forth for like the last day, day and a half. And uh, I don't know what I can conclude from this. I really don't. Um, I have so many questions that I feel like weren't answered in this blog post that they wrote. Um... The best I can gather, it seems like they're trying to solve the problem of cheating online. So RTA, collusion, all of the the main things that we're going to be talking about today, (laughs) coincidentally enough. um, And it seems like they feel as though they have some sort of methodology to do that. Uh, But when I kind of question them, like, okay, well, what the fuck does blockchain technology have to do with any of this? Yeah. Uh, They basically said nothing. Like, we're not a crypto company. Uh, and it's like, okay, well, why are you creating a token then? And it's like, okay, this is our version of Rakeback or VIP, uh, whatever. It's like, okay, well then I'm very confused because like, it seems as though everything's leading with like the tokenomics of this project. Uh, I saw Melissa kind of like tweeted out this distribution yesterday and, uh, you know, kind of said like, where's the white paper type of thing. Um, and you know, like the, the, the reason why we pause for concern is because like you look at a token distribution like this, and this is every rug that we've seen in the last five years, <laughs> right? The founders just get a huge chunk. Uh, the, the, the player community or whatever takes like half, but they're left holding the bag while the other half just gets dumped and everybody's kind of made whole. And I'm not saying that that's what this is. I don't know. I'm certainly not sharp enough on this type of stuff. It's just, I'm concerned because there's this public wave of all this information going out and it doesn't really feel like there are a lot of answers. So I basically asked them like, you know, do you guys have a white paper? And they're like, no, we're not a crypto project. And it's like, what the fuck are you then? (laughs) 
They're like, well, we're a poker site. And it's like, okay, well, do you have a business plan? And it's like, they were, they were basically like, well, we put it in the blog post. It's like, yeah, did you? Because I got a lot of questions. I think, like, yes, we do have a lot of questions. But I think over time, like, this is just like uh, an announcement of saying, hey, this is coming. And or this is like an idea that's in the works. And I think over time, we might get answers. But why? 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 Why push people to sign up for something now? Just to get a newsletter, just to get like your emails. Like I just like after, yeah. like any any yeah. company that wants something like, on the startup, emails is the key. Yeah. Okay. So if That's you can fair. just like get a shitload of emails early and just you know, they have to think though that like you know the the poker community itself is we're very sensitive to this, very yeah. sensitive and, and and pretty sharp in the uh, crypto you know the, yep. the, the, the crypto verse right? also like, just want so, always wants well, answers you you would just they're think, not a crypto company I know they're not a crypto, <laughs> well, but yeah but there's crypto involved so like obviously when you put this out you're just gonna have tons of people yourself included who are gonna have many many questions yeah and you would think that they would want to have those answers preloaded put the, preloaded once yep. they put this out. Yeah, that's kind of where I steered the conversation. It was like, okay, tokenomics aside, because I don't fully understand it. Maybe I'm just adult, and that's completely reasonable. I very well could be. Um, but I probably, you know, I'm representative of your consumer base also. Mm -hmm. So if I don't get it, they don't get it. You're going to have to, like, explain it like we're five. Um, but that aside, how are you solving the security issue, right? And it was just kind of like, well, we're not yet, but we're really dedicated to it. And it's like... Well, then, like, what are you selling us? Like, this is just an app as far as I'm concerned. And maybe it's an app that is being developed by people that we can empirically trust a lot more than the people that are developing Poker Bros or PPP Poker or whatever the case may be. And that's great. It would be nice to have a line of communication to, to developers and owners and, and things of that nature. But I guess my bigger take is, like, if you feel like you have an upper hand to solve RTA, to solve collusion to solve the problems that plague online poker that, you know, these billion dollar companies are failing at mm -hmm. sell it, license it to them, license it to every single operator out there. Don't create some little tiny app game. I mean, if you think about what their overall thought is that they're giving back to the community, like they're sharing, like your shares are coming back to the community. That's kind of a big thing. No, no, no. What do you mean? Like, Explain. Like the rake is coming back to the community. Like, yes, all poker sites have rake back, but maybe not as big as this. No. And uh, I mean, it's 50% rake back. Or, well, it's 25% rake back. So half of the rake gets. Uh, maybe it's 50% rake back. This is what I mean. I don't follow the tokenomics. Basically, yeah. they're creating a DAO, which empirically have failed since the dawn of, you know, DAOs in crypto. Sure, yeah. yeah. Uh, but that aside, even if it's like successful. Half of the rake is coming back to the consumers. Half of the rake is getting put into a treasury for the DAO. Uh, and then, you know, everybody will have, like, some fractional vote based off of the coins that they hold. The issue is that, like, if you hold the coins, then you didn't actually get the rake back. You're just getting equity in the company. Until or, a day you want to sell. Right. But, like, the problem is, is that, um, so, like, say that it launches, say there's a, a huge launch, uh -huh. right? Um, the way that the coins are, are priced is based off of monthly revenue. Yes. And then uh, if you sell, it's based off of yearly revenue. So it's like at a 12x multiple of some sort. At least this is the way that it was conveyed to me. I don't, again, I don't fully understand it. Okay. But, um, but in any saying. event, like say the first month is like 
astronomical. Yeah. Say say they do like a hundred. Say they do ten million in the first month, and their projection for the entire year is like twelve million, right? So because yeah. there's going to be a big fall off. So when they sell, everybody they're sells. They're selling at a twelve million evaluation. Basically, no, they or? would be selling at a hundred and twenty million valuation. Right. Because the projection uh, now is twelve months. Uh, mm -hmm. Okay. Right. So everybody would just dump immediately, and I don't know if that crashes it. But I do know that there wouldn't be enough liquidity in the treasury to pay that off. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. So I don't, I, again, like, I it, don't understand. I think I, I would hope, well, I just think hope, hope over time that, like, we just get answers and a full out plan about this because, I mean, they have to before they launch, right? Right. You like, would think. I mean, they just can't not. Oh, the, just the, about. Bigger, the bigger point here is not the tokenomics or anything along those lines. That's a concern because yeah. obviously there's room for there to be some sort of rug. Of course. The bigger concern is, like, at the end of the day, the, the trust factor with online is being damaged based off of the lack of security. Mm -hmm. So how can a room full of guys who are just like founders creating a site from scratch going to get a leg up on a billion dollar company like Poker Stars that's putting, we assume, some percentage of that return into security, even if it's only 1% of a billion dollars? That's going to be more than the entire company is worth. To start, whenever yeah. you're talking about, uh, you, you know, this this new Phenom Poker app, so I, I just don't fully see the vision, and that's that's not me trying to poo poo it. Look, I root for this. Yeah, it's just it's very difficult to be full tilt poker again, right? That was a very unique time where they just met a need at a time when it was the wild wild west, and they were able to service. Poker players based off of what they understood about the industry. But we saw what Galfon Galfon tried to be the player's champ and put out a product that absolutely served poker players first and foremost. And he had to sell. And, and that's not a failure on Phil's part. Like he gave it his best, but it's like it's a really fucking cutthroat industry with not a lot of meat on the bone, especially if you're secure. The people making all the money are the least secure sites. <laughs> it's the apps, right? The app games are making all the fucking money and we're about to we're about to shit on acr again we're about to talk about gg again and all the problems that they have but the fact of the matter is they are a million times more secure than any app that you're playing on yeah yeah of course right so it's just like what what are we even talking about yeah. um yeah I, I just think this was just like a, a statement just to like hype it up and just like get email addresses and right i think we'll see a i mean with the people involved Everybody cares about their reputation, it feels like. Like, looking at it, it's like, so... I think we'll see a, a nice business plan coming forward. I, I hope you're right. Um, Deeb disagrees. He said he's looking to see if anybody that's an ambassador is willing to bet on the success of business thinking uh, of minimum... I mean, it's so hard to read his tweets. You need to find coherent Sean Deeb. You need to look at the translator. It's like he's allergic to periods and commas. Uh, thinking of a minimum number of active players on a particular date or if the company is still functioning in a few years time uh, open to suggestions I think he should like probably elaborate a little bit more it's not about just still existing like he should just cross book their their profit margins over X amount of time yeah uh, I guess like maybe that would be hurtful because the books get cooked mm -hmm. but like if over five years they're at a negative then you know he just wins that amount um yeah. even if they're only doing a percentage but that would be my suggestion as far as this whole thing goes i would just always be skeptical whenever there's a, a whole bunch of people across an industry trying to fix a problem which in this case is cheating rta all that stuff 
and then somebody comes along or some small group of people comes along and says, we have the answer. We are going to fix this problem because we have thought of something that everybody else in the industry has not yet thought of. Because yeah. immediately that is like, there's so much, so many resources being poured into this and a bunch of people that are not part of that process yet have suddenly found the answer. Like I just inherently approach that with skepticism. Yeah, I, I, Same. Just, I just think, you know, there's, there's a lot of bulletins put into this tweet and there's need, each one is going to be need to be answered before the start before this gets launched. Yeah. For so sure. I just think it's a matter of time. That's we'll optimistic see. of you. We'll see. I mean, we're just, we have to, they would have to give answers before it launches, right? It just has to happen like that. Theoretically. Yeah. Theoretically, well, they don't have to do anything. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I mean, like, they can with, just with, my, with my conversation uh, back and forth with, with whoever's DMing me, it's like, they're very confident that the information they've put out right now is adequate. And I just like strongly disagree. And if, uh, you know, from my opinion, my, my vantage point, it's like, this is very premature. Like, I think that, you know, to, to have a cohesive social media push like this, if your desire was to grab emails, then... Maybe it was just bad wording, honestly. Well, well I'm, I'm just saying, like, then, then just make it such that you're marketing a new poker site. But yeah. they led with, uh, we're doing this on chain. They led with, we're solving the security, security issues. issues. Yeah, they yeah, led that. with the tokenomics. And, like, all of this stuff is really convoluted and no, difficult to comprehend. I get what you're saying, man. You know? I agree. I'm not, I'm not disagreeing with you. Conrad's <laughs> just trying to be an ambassador. Yeah, 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 I'm, I'm, not, I'm not disagreeing. Conrad wants that quarter million dollar check. I'm not disagreeing with you guys. I'm let, just let saying, let's give secret, them some Connie. time. Let me let you on a little secret. When they ask you to pay in, in tokens, fucking say no. <laughs> All I was thinking about was like, what? I how think, much is a quarter million dollars of ETH back in 2016 worth now? Three hundred dollars a coin. Oh my okay, god! Okay, so seven X. Yeah. Eight X. Oh my god! And it peak yeah. like double that. <clears throat> mm -hmm. Um, you know, I'll take ETH. I uh, to be fair, if <laughs> if I had gotten, I, I asked to be paid in ETH. Uh, if I had gotten it, I would have sold half of it like almost immediately because I didn't yeah. know anything. Course, I, I, it could have went to zero. Yeah. yeah it's like course. I'll just take hundred K. Yeah. And then I probably would have held a lot of it. Yeah. Yeah. Hundred K in ETH in 2017. Uh, that'd be kind of nice right now. <laughs> Fuck you, Virch. <laughs> the irony in that name. Uh, yeah. Uh, all right. Let's uh, let's talk a little bit more about um, GG and the latest. Um, so this is something that had been floating around in the back channels for a few days. They wanted to be sure uh, that all this was on the up and up, but it finally did hit the two plus two airwaves on yesterday actually uh yesterday morning was the first time that i was <laughs> i do love the diligent the due diligence that the community does where like i just get tagged and yeah. everything now i'll get mm -hmm. like four or five dms did you see this it's like man you guys make my life so easy you, you, always, <laughs> you always talk about like waking up in the morning and having all these texts about something i just mm -hmm. can't help but think that your phone overnight is like the most active phone in all <laughs> right? of i feel like adam scheffner you know yeah. it's just like, i don't know who that news. is but okay <laughs> well, he's the i don't know who adam scheffner is says by <laughs> nobody that lives in america scheffner? 
I mean, he shouldn't. He doesn't know. know. Yeah, he I definitely should Anybody know. outside of, like, that doesn't follow football well, doesn't know. T- tell me who it is, and I'll tell you if it's reasonable if I don't know who they <laughs> are. It's <laughs> reasonable that you don't know. Right. Okay. He's, He's an NFL reasonable. reporter who, oh, who well, like, I don't know fucking <laughs> anything about the right. NFL. He gets, like, the inside scoop for oh, I, everything that's going on. I barely know the team names, let yeah. alone the fucking reporters. Right. Right. He always has the breaking news of whether a person's going to be, whether they're going to start or not, if they're injured, all these different things. Tell me who the soccer reporters on the Premier League are. There you go. You know, like, I'll tell you who the NFL mm-hmm. reporters The are. dude with long red hair. <laughs> Alex, Alexi uh, Lalas? Yes, oh absolutely. my god. He is he is the least knowledgeable person about soccer. But he does it! All, yeah, he does. <laughs> I, I literally cannot watch any game that he's talking about because he's yeah. so stupid. Oh, he's so he's the Ian Rappaport of it. <laughs> <laughs> he's Jesus. just kidding, he's terrible. He's so bad. Oh yeah, because Ian's listening at home. <laughs> <laughs> Might be, you never know. Oh, oh, you just never know who's listening, man. I found that out the other day. Right. You just never know. That's true. The only reason Hunt <laughs> even knows who Pat McAfee is is because he's an announcer on WWE sometimes. Honestly, <laughs> I knew who he was before that because of you. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's fair. <laughs> I found out who he was because of you, and then he came to wrestling. I was like, oh, this guy's wrestling now? Okay. Yeah. Um, all right. So, anyway, getting back to the GG stuff. Uh, it looks as though uh, another potential super user has been sussed out. Um, and this one looks a little bit different. So effectively, uh, this is happening at micro stakes and it's between two accounts, Gemini two at 10 NL and Lamborghini two at 10 NL. Uh, the original poster says, I suspect these two accounts belong to the same person. Both accounts quickly accumulate five to 600 big blinds in a short period of time with a VPIP over 75 Mm. and then immediately leave the table. They just play at one table. They consistently attempt to play the full board upon observing their played hands. It became evident that there was something unusual. I'm cert- I'm uncertain about how to fully utilize online resources, but with further research, you'll see the anomalies. Um, and this is where they like bring the graph up. Let me see if I can zoom that in on this. That is a suspicious looking graph. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Especially they said it plays over 75% VPIP. 77.9%. Uh, I guess it's small hand samples. But very, like sa- that, very small, yeah. That graph is suspicious as hell. Humans don't play like that over small samples right so Unless they can see the cards um well, yeah <laughs> yeah so so obviously this felt very much like uh a super user thing and uh i didn't want to just like come out and say like this is the same thing as uh money maker six nine or money taker six nine rather um because uh, uh, well a couple reasons one the sample was very small by comparison it's only 1800 hands mm-hmm. um by comparison to you know 5k and e- even though that's not a huge difference it's still substantial to some degree yeah. um and secondarily like they're just people who are sharper with this type of stuff than me that can like look at this and determine exactly what this means now i think most of our first observations are similar to hunts where it's just like okay that's not human for sure something is occurring here um and the notion that was floated to me that seems like it makes the most amount of sense, and I guess like Hunt, maybe you can you can tell me if you think this makes sense or not, is that this is an attempt to bonus whore and then launder. So effectively, these two are going to uh, tables and they are trying to clear their bonuses in some sort of capacity and then dump to one another to get the money off. I, the thing that feels weird about it to me is is looking at that graph, having looked at a lot of graphs over small samples and seeing what they look like. The mm-hmm. problem is that you don't you don't get a red even if you have a positive red line over a fairly small sample, 
you it doesn't look like a straight line, right? Like right. It, it looks like because you, you play bigger pots, like you win a big pot without showdown, and the graph will like jump up because you just they got the, you got to fold on the river in a hundred big blind pot, or you know you'll you'll lose a big pot. It, it just it looks suspicious to me because that player playing a seventy five percent v pip did not play any big pots. Like they just didn't. They, there's right. no there's no big jumps or big drops in the graph, and that feels really sketchy to me because even if you're out there trying to like just play for bonuses or something or you're you're playing 75 percent vpip for some other reason you're gonna end up playing bigger pots right like you're gonna end up playing pots where you get all in like this this almost feels like this player didn't even like get all in when they have the best hand you know this they, they right. didn't they didn't even like flop a set and just barrel off and get called like this is <laughs> this is it's it's really weird to me that a player would be able to actually win over any sample with a graph that looks like this because they they just only played small pots that's what's really weird and suspicious to me about it yeah so what my understanding was or was what was explained to me was that these two players were sitting together Mm-hmm. And they were basically just like colluding together to uh, just play heads up pots uh-huh. against one another, as far as I understand. And so the they were basically just trading. It, it's trading the same person pots on two different computers at the same time. Yes. Okay. That's my understanding of it. I don't know how and, accurate that and is. And they would they were just trading small pots. Correct. And not they weren't even really like playing the hands they were dealt at all because that kind of would make sense yeah as far as i understand it was just an attempt to uh to to build pots to clear their their bonuses okay. or whatever and then launder the money i off. didn't but, realize that was the suggestion because that does make a little yeah, more sense I, I don't know exactly how i guess the bonuses work but usually isn't it you get a percentage of the rake that you generate back to clear your bonus so like you're just still going to be losing to the rake anyway no because both of them are are, are getting the same bonus but you only get the the bonus the, for the rake right, that they you both, generate, t- right? Together, they generate 100% of the rake. Okay. They both get X percent back or whatever, mm-hmm. and they're not losing any money in the pots because it's the same person. Well, they're losing the rake. They're, they're losing a fraction of the rake. Right. Right, but they're also clearing the bonus on top of it. It's not just... I, I think you're thinking of like WSOP's that's what version. I was, yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. That's rake back. That's different. Oh, okay. These, these accounts probably already have rake back. But they're also clearing some sort of deposit bonus. Oh, okay. Which, uh, which would be more than 100% of what the rank that they're creating. It should be, yeah. yeah like, gotcha. you know, if you have a $1,000 deposit right. bonus, you're, right. that's why it's presumed that this is happening at micro stage. Gotcha. What, what's still weird to me about it, though, is the assuming these players were playing at a table where there were also other players present, there should be situations, if they're trying to, if they're both trying to kind of generate pots where they're, they're playing bigger pots and then they're kind of just swapping chips, basically. Yeah. And and so on and so forth. There should be spots where like, they're both involved in a pot, but someone else just has a big hand. Yeah. And they lo- that neither of them wins the pot, right? There should right. be spots like that. And similarly, if they are, if they're doing this and the, the graph looks that way, it implies that they're not even paying any attention to the hands that they're dealt. That's what I was thinking. Because well, they're it, probably right. just, it's probably just formationally, mm-hmm. right? They like, only mm-hmm. play, yeah, so if, as soon as someone else gets in the hand, they just fold. Yeah. But right? then that, that, what's weird to me about that is like, if, like that over some sort of sample of hands, there should be spots where someone else is involved in the hand, but you have aces and you're not going to just fold it, right? Like it, it feels weird to me that these players, both of them seemingly were, mm. even though they're, they're bonus whoring, 
it seems like they're not even paying attention to the hands that they have. Like, they're not even playing the game at all. Right. Yeah. Which is weird because it's free money if you're doing this, but then you also get Dell Aces sometimes. Yeah. You know? yeah. Like, yeah, it's kind of interesting because their stats are are effectively identical. They both want about $800. Uh, their win rate is, you know, roughly 450 to 500 They're expected... So their expected EV is, like, within dollars of what they actually earned. Let me ask you a question. Right? Would it make sense if there was three more people at the table doing it or four more of the bots? Yeah, I mean, but then you would see four more accounts that look like this unless they were just like fold bots fold, yeah like just like or, or I, bots might not even be the right word just like fold accounts yeah, i guess just sh shells of whatever that, that would make more sense to me because it's so hard to artificially engineer this graph yeah if there's other players yeah. who are play. actually trying to play <laughs> right like because you're just going to get spots where one of them is involved in a hand and you can't do what you're trying to do well, let's you know? examine it from the other perspective then uh where we assume that this wasn't an attempt to clear bonuses or anything of that mm -hmm. sort um how how could this ever be generated otherwise because uh, this still looks a little bit different than the money taker that's what i'm confused about right, right? because even if you were super using you would be in there'd be spots where a big pot happens and you know that they have a bluff and you just jam the river and they fold right, right. like there, there would be big pots this is what i'm baffled by here yeah. and it also the seems lack like a, of big pots it seems like a lot of work for not a lot of money yeah precisely yeah well, yeah that's i think that lends credence to the bonus whoring aspect of it yeah uh, like how much laundering you, i don't know how much you can make in bonuses but it's not you're not gonna like get rich well if you can recycle this over and over you know it's about how many accounts can you get yeah. can you get yeah. this to do i, I right? mean i i think the basically the idea that it's some there's some kind of botting involved makes the most sense to me because that would be the best explanation for why then you could just have it run and yeah just have and, it, it and it would ignore mm -hmm. it would be ignoring what whole cards it gets done right, right? Mm -hmm. because that that's the thing that that gets me it's like if it's this is if this is a human playing 10 nl to grind a bonus if you get dealt if you just sit there and you get dealt aces you're not just gonna like fold it because the bonus is more important you're gonna mm -hmm. play the hand right like yeah. you're at, at a very at a bare, bare minimum you're just gonna like jam pre-flop to take the pot down or something right. or you're gonna do something yeah but it, it it very much seems like these accounts are not paying any attention to the whole cards they're dealt which implies that they are bots yeah and i think like the the mirrored stats also kind of implies that in some sort yeah, of capacity it's so hard for two humans to play the exact same way right like almost everything is identical right 1800 mm -hmm. hands 1700 hands winnings 837 800 uh both at nl10 um win uh win with showdown frequency 41 to 44 vpip 77.9 77.3 pfr 23 22.8 3bet 13.9 14.8 like this is this is way 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 more credence to botting yeah than it would be super using right, right. like super yeah. using wouldn't be uniform it would be it would be unique to the problem set right mm -hmm. yeah right like so i have perfect information so whatever that perfect information yields me i win this big pot right yeah, yeah. right right there yeah. would be like especially in the in the blue line <clears throat> there'd be spots where they call the bot call the river with bottom pair because they know mm -hmm. they're bluffing like the, the 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 straight like straight line blue line and straight line red line over a small sample i have i have never ever seen that from a human player and yeah. it's it's just super weird to me yeah i i i think i concur um you know i i don't know there hasn't been a gg statement publicly about this as far as i know uh, hopefully we'll hear something with regards to, you know, I assume that these 
accounts have been policed. If they haven't been, then obviously they should be. Um, hopefully in some sort of capacity that makes it out public one way or the other. I think that this stuff is very valid to continually bring up, right? Like even if it's even if it's the most innocuous thing in the world that's not really harming the player pool, which would be them basically botting to clear bonuses, uh, it's still it's still an anomaly for us to catch, right? Yeah. So we still see it now. Like we're so much more sensitive to everything that's going to be occurring in the environment that there's got to be a, a higher degree of transparency now between operators and consumers, right? We mm -hmm. need some sort of like trust back and we need some answers for even the most simple thing where it doesn't do any good for me and Hunt to sit here and speculate what the hell these non-human graphs actually <laughs> mean <laughs> at the end of the day, right? Because what they mean is that we're playing against non-humans mm -hmm. and that's problematic in and of itself. Right, the only difference between a bot that's, that's playing for bonuses and a bot that's actually just beating human players is the programming of the bot right. the problem is that the bot is able to play on the site and not get caught right mm -hmm. like that's the thing we want to stop so regardless of why the bot exists the, the point is we don't want bots yeah right? correct absolutely uh and i guess since we're we're talking bots um jay nandez came with an update i'm so sorry that i didn't get him on that panel uh, I saw him reply in line in the thread after we had recorded the episode. Mm. So it was kind of like, damn, uh, opportunity missed because I think it would have been nice to hear from somebody who's a part of the high stakes PLO collective where they kind of get like brushed under the rug a little bit more. And I don't know if it's maybe because botting is a little bit more difficult in the PLO streets because it's a more complex game or if the bots are less sophisticated or just there's fewer PLO players, but uh i'm i'm sorry and remiss that like we didn't have jay nanda's voice in there to kind of like speak to this issue uh that being said he did publicly talk about acr's uh problem with bots in the plo arena and he followed up with an update today uh as of this morning he said update on acr bots for plo cash 51 suspected bots identified at 12 plo in 2023 116 dollars $116,415 stolen from legitimate players slash customers of ACR. Bots held a 4.5 EV big blind per 100 win rate before rake back, which with rake back, you know, a lot. very significant. Um, he said, we PLO mastermind track bots via 16 key stats in which they overlap with within very close range. Uh, the details are here. I'll bring that up for you guys to see, but uh, it's, it's going to be pretty greek to to me again like i'm not super sharp when it comes to uh a lot of this online data i, I think this honestly this to me i think is the the area where it's very part like the the insight that we can get into what's a bot and what's not is very powerful because mm -hmm. if you if you look at large samples of human data um people have approaches that differ and Right. It's extraordinarily uncommon to see two humans, even two humans who are playing or trying to play like GTO, let's say, which is segueing into our later topic. Yeah. Um, but even two humans that are trying to play optimally, they don't end up with the same stats. They don't play the same way. They don't have right. the exact same sizings. And when you see large samples in a, in a game as complex as PLO, you see large samples of data where two players are playing the exact same way. It's just so, so suspicious inherently. Yeah. Yeah, I, I wholeheartedly agree with that. Uh, 
Furthering on with Jay Nanda's statement, he says, questions for ACR and Phil Nagy. Will these bots get confirmed and removed? Will your players get compensated for the $116,415 which got taken away from them? Are country attributions returning to the platform? Um, I'm pretty confident I know the answer to the third question and that it's <laughs> no, uh, just from conversations I've had kind of behind the scenes. But uh, yeah, it doesn't seem like they're going to be returning the country flags anytime soon. And it's weird because like, you know, it shouldn't be that big of a deal. Like you wouldn't think that knowing where someone is from is all that much of a tell, but it does seem like it's one of those uh, self-reporting mechanisms where there's nothing that they can currently do. Oh, maybe... You want to laugh? There is a way to find out the, the country people are from. Go on. So Ben's Ben's actually posted this uh, within the last couple month, I would say. Mm -hmm. If you go to transfer somebody money mm -hmm. and you just type in their name, uh, the country of origin comes up. That's, <laughs> that's super sharp. So for all you guys out there trying to do uh, the police work of, of ACR, if you want to find out where the country's from, just type in their names for a transfer. Don't actually send any yeah, money, if you, of course. If you get four players at your table from Tajikistan or something, just <laughs> you know, be, um, be a little bit concerned. Wait, is, is there really a Tajikistan? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I you think a man like Matt Hunt would be making up a country exactly. like that? Well, just because I've never seen it, and, you know... Yeah. There's, there's all sorts of stans out there. Yeah, I was gonna say, I, the, to Conrad, to, to defend Conrad, it does sound made up. Yeah, it's it like, I, I was like, a stand. If I had said it, you absolutely would oh, be sure that it yeah. was made yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, you would have said, well, you to, said uh, Kajik. No. <laughs> you would have said <laughs> something. Tajikistan. What I would have done, what I would have done is take a known country like Tasmania and I would have smashed it together with Tasmanian. Tasmania is not a country. Oh, well, <laughs> Tasmania a, is, a a, is a state of Australia. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's a little island off the coast of Australia. I thought it was yeah. New Zealand. No, it's Australia. New Zealand is even more southeast than Tasmania. Tasmania is like, I think, off the southeast no, I'm saying, coast I thought of Australia. Tas Tasmania was part of New Zealand. Not, no, Tasmania oh, okay. is definitely part of Australia. I, 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 I will defer to you. It's, it's a cartoon in Looney Tunes, <laughs> yeah. as far as I'm Tasmanian concerned. Tasmanian devil. Yeah, I know that. Um, He's there. <laughs> but yeah, so anyway, uh, I, for the, uh, with regard to the country thing, like, couldn't they just, couldn't they just like pose wherever they want whenever they create their account? Because the KYC is pretty weak, right? So couldn't they just say they're from Canada and use a VPN to to sign up initially? I don't know, honestly. I I don't know the specifics with ACR. I do know that in the past, um, people who've been using VPNs to play on stuff on sites like Stars and things like that from the US, mm. a lot of the time the VPN or the whatever um, network connection that they're using. I remember it it shows up like sometimes it'll be like a weird country like it'll be like Romania or somewhere like yeah. because that's the country that they're connecting through right, and, right, and yeah. people used to be suspicious about like oh there's a random Romania account that's like winning at high stakes now like that's probably an American or something uh, like that. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah so I I think it it does connect to like some of the the sort of shady businesses that offer you like hey we can set you up with a connection in this country to play on stars from the US, mm -hmm. they they are based in some of those countries. I, see. I, I think that like, if you like just were to, like sign up through Nord and it's your first, whatever your sign up, whatever country you pick at that time, I think it sticks with you throughout the whole time. Yeah, that's that's kind that's of what I would have assumed. But yeah. either way, uh, getting back to this post, I, I don't foresee them bringing the flags back. Um, 
Jaynetta says, call to action for ACR players at stakes of PLO 50 to PLO 600. Create an alias in your tracking tool and see how much money you lost or won against the bot group, which is listed in that website above. Uh, message ACR about it. Tag bots and avoid them or study and exploit them. They are beatable. Other interesting facts. No bots were found on 510 or higher. It seems like the bots were not su successful on high stakes uh, or on stakes higher than 1-2. Most likely they're not good enough to beat these stakes yet. There are more more bots at lower stakes than 1-2, but we haven't studied the data, bit, data set on it. Uh, collusion between bots is a possibility, but it doesn't seem like it's their main objective. They play mostly GTO preflop and then use population tendencies, exploits postflop paired with GTO approximations, which honestly seems like pretty powerful, mm -hmm. you know? Um, that's why they're winning at 4.5 per 100. That's true. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it seems like, you know, population is good enough especially if you're trying to create a bot uh to effectively just you know have a win rate at the player pool um and especially if you're doing like if you're getting reasonable rake back mm -hmm. you know like a, a high rake back number here seems like it would be well worth uh you know putting in the effort especially if this stuff's not getting police so right just beware out there i guess uh there is something to be concerned about in all of these pools on acr i know that they are working diligently at least they've claimed so publicly so we're rooting for that to be the case um in the meantime stay safe out there and we'll keep updating as necessary uh when things do crop up all right let's get into a little bit of strat chat shall we yeah we gotta we gotta get an intro for strat chat like we have for in the mock yeah we gotta get like yeah, a little, little video Conrad. We'll get, we'll get yeah, okay. Conrad. All right, I'll get I'm definitely gonna be using the the God the <laughs> the Mad Hunt um silhouette from one of his courses. What is it called? Oh, oh. that that graphic thing. Oh, God, yeah. I love it so much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it's because he was the beard. Yeah. The beard. Yeah. Beard's back, so you can use it again. That's I true. That is true. It is a little bit back. Uh, Connor, you want to go get the door? Yeah, somebody is, <laughs> somebody is knocking. Somebody's knocking hard. Um, all right, let's get into uh, this strat chat a little bit. Uh, I guess it was like a few days ago. Hunt, yeah, it was a couple days ago. Hunt I put a tweet out. He said, saying stuff like, quote unquote, playing GTO would never win in my games is a dead giveaway that you don't understand GTO. GTO versus exploitative is really a continuum with the max EV versus an unknown strategy on one side and max ev versus known strategy on the other side reality is in the middle i think this is like a really powerful yet misunderstood statement um and what i mean by misunderstood specifically is that people don't understand the spectrum of it all right mm -hmm. the, the continuum if you will so this notion that uh gto is one thing uh and exploitative play is another and that they never really coexist or overlap is where a lot of people go wrong. So uh, I've, I've personally like rebranded and reframed these things. I hate the term GTO. Yeah, I think it's too. so stupid. Like it's just not a thing. It's, uh, it, it, I don't mean it's not a thing in that it like is, is non-existent. I mean, it's not a thing in the sense that like there's no stylistic approach to theory, right? Yeah. Like there's just theory and then there's not theory. Right. right. And it's like, I like the idea of, of, reframing it as like playing theoretically sound versus just freestyling yeah and even that comes with its own like little caveat because it's like when you understand theory well you have the permission to freestyle yeah right but whenever you don't understand theory at all you have no other choice but the freestyle and it's just all very intuitive right 
and I, uh, I, in how you approach I, it. I hear this a lot that that there's this idea that some players are GTO style players, and I I don't think that that's like like you say I don't think that that's a thing. I don't think there are players who deliberately decide to play a sort of theoretically optimal style even when they are aware that there's an exploit available right like it's yeah. not it's not like there are players out there who know what the exploits are and they're choosing not to take them right. right that's not that's not a thing that's not a real you know strategy that people have it's that the the theoretical background that we use to to decide on what the best strategy is if you are trying to figure out what the exploits are if you're trying to figure out some kind of you know, way to to exploit your opponents, you you cannot do that in any kind of a, an effective way without an understanding of theory. You you just cannot even decide what the best strategy is. And so anything that you say that's surrounding what you think the way to exploit your opponents is, it's not grounded in theory. It's not grounded in anything, right? Like it doesn't have any foundation at all. Well, I would push back a little bit and say that it is grounded in something. It's just not quantifiable, right? Yeah, that's. I guess that's what I mean. Is yeah. that like you you can't you can't evaluate whether it's correct or or not. You correct. know, like you can't you can't measure any aspect of it. You can't test it. You can't do anything with it. Yeah, and I think that that's where this conversation gets really interesting because uh, you know we spoke about this a little bit at the academy, especially the most recent one. But it's an idea that I've been uh, really examining a lot deeper more and more lately as we do the in the mucks, as we you know prepare for the academies, as we shift our focus even stronger towards the live realm than it's been in the past, mm -hmm. is that this game is really first taught and learned for the vast majority of people through strictly intuition, mm -hmm. right? Through observational bias and everything that comes along with that, both the good and the bad, right? Um, is, that, is that your WhatsApp I can hear? In my, in my it's it's, it's, oh, it's Guapo's WhatsApp. Oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> it's, Only it's, we can hear it. Don't worry. No, no, that's not true. Oh, uh, no. <laughs> they, they can hear it also. Uh, and the problem is, is that I can't mute the entire WhatsApp. I can only mute each chat. So mm. when ah. someone new texts me, it comes up. Anyway, See, this is what I mean. You're you're the most in demand right. person Too in much. poker right now. Give Too us the much. breaking news, Burke. I got breaking it. news. I got students. Yep. I got I got meetings i got all kinds of shit uh anyway back to the to the story at hand um what i've really come to understand whenever it comes to especially entry-level players and i don't mean like beginners like they just learned the rules i mean people who've been playing for a significant period of time like uh and this isn't this isn't any sort of like judgment on on her or anything but like somebody in nikki's realm where she's been in the game for like 18 months she's been coached she's had some level of success but still the way that or the lens through which she's learned the game mostly has just been the sense of okay let's start from the beginning this is what beats what right this is the entry point for every single human being who's ever played this game the very first thing that they learn is quads are better than a full house full house are better than trips trips are better than two pair two pairs better than, you know what i mean and so on down the line there's no template like this for bluffing but bluffing is such a massive part of this game whenever we start to examine it from the theoretical lens, right? So if you already like lop off one of the legs of theory, then you just naturally fall into a realm that is Delulu land, mm -hmm. right? Like there's just no grounding in math for the version of this game that completely excludes a strategic option. And I, I want to speak to this more and, and, I have a question coming, Matt, I promise. Uh, but I, I want to speak to this more because I feel like this is the pain point uh, 
of pretty much everybody who is in a position to want to get better, but is not landing when it comes to theory and having run thousands of sims. So my question then becomes, if you learn this game through, uh, you know, just repetition and uh, kinesthetically, if you will, like playing, observing, recognizing what you see at showdown over and over and over again, uh, you know, kind of developing an intuition for frequencies, who's too aggressive, who's too passive, that type of stuff. Curating a strategy off of that seems like where most people separate themselves from the pool. How then do you encourage them to transition off of what they quote-unquote know into a realm where we actually are calculating what is best based off of imperfect information? I think the... The thing that makes a big difference here is kind of adding an element of distrusting the information that you think you have in the sense of the observation that you're going to get is always going to be based off of the instances that occur most often, right? So you're going you're gonna to get a, a much clearer idea of people's pre-flop tendencies and maybe their flop tendencies and things like that. And you're relatively rapidly in any given game going to develop a sense of how that game is playing, especially if it's an environment that's fairly consistent. But the, the problem is that the stuff that matters the most in the long term in terms of your overall win rate when it comes to big pots, river decisions, things like that, that's the stuff you're going to get incredibly limited information on. And even when you do see showdowns and you do get information to work with, it's going to be very prone to bias in one direction or another. So I think you have to, you have to start out by thinking about what would, I, what would I be doing here in a situation where I really did not have any info to work with? You know, if I, if I tried to build a strategy where I discount what I think I know and I'm playing against a player that I don't even have the ability to, to let's say, know what they look like or, or where I'm playing. Like if you imagine playing in an environment where you, you, don't, you don't have this player pool info, you don't, ha you don't know what stakes you're playing, you don't know what casino you're playing in, you know, all this stuff. If you tried to strip away all that information, now what would you do? Most people end up in a position where they're like, well, I, I can't do anything because they've, they've spent their whole time using that information as the basis of their decisions, right? So as soon as you start to lose confidence in that information or as soon as that information is slightly wrong, now you, you lose the foundation of your decision-making altogether. So that's kind of the, the approach that I tend to take with a lot of people when it comes to transitioning off of that mindset. It's all about stripping down the information you have available and, and thinking less about the subjective stuff that you, you see through observation and maybe you, you get biased towards certain things or, or other things based on what actually happens and more towards thinking about the objective aspects of a spot and if i was to strip away all the information that i that i already have like what would this spot look like in a in a vacuum or what would this spot look like if i didn't even have uh, a vague read on what i'm you know what who i'm playing against you know so what I, mean? I agree with all of that obviously but let me play devil's advocate for the sake of the audience sure. Uh, GTO doesn't work in my environment mm -hmm. because <laughs> they aren't they aren't doing the things. I was gonna play that role, but yeah, go yeah. Ahead. No, by all means. <laughs> um, but like they're not doing what mm -hmm. the solver 
it, it, they're not doing what yeah. the solver expects to do. They're mm -hmm. not playing a maximally exploitative strategy. I hear it all the time in these lower stake yeah. games that I play, mm -hmm. and it's just like it's like, oh, if I tried to play like the solver, I'd just get killed. Like like the solver's telling me I need to you know call this guy you know fifty percent of hands on the river when he makes this bet, but he only he always has it. Mm -hmm. Or you know like I'm supposed to be three betting and four betting. You know these right. certain it, spots, it, but they only three bet these hands. Like to that point, yeah. they're not wrong. Yeah, they're, they're, they're not, not wrong. wrong. They right. seem right. to use this to their right. advantage. So, mm -hmm. so this really does come down to the notion of like, and and for what it's worth, uh, you guys can expect content on this coming very soon. Uh, I have Andrew Brokers both working on this, and this will be the next installment of my Mid-Stake Bible course. So he's working on the aspect of hashtag they always have it. And I'm working on the a aspect of just pay. Hashtag they never have it. Right. Well, it's, it, the thing is, is, like I recognize that they always right. have it, right? So mm -hmm. these are two conflicting ideas. What happens when an un unmovable object meets a... Yeah. What happens when... Uh, uh, no, no, wait, it's a a non-foldable human? Wait, 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 it's yeah. a, I knew I was going to screw it up. Because yeah. I Tor, you got to take your time. I know. Yeah. You gotta, what you gotta happens when an unmovable force meets a... No, the irresistible force and the unmovable. Im Im immovable object. That's it. There, there we go. Thank <laughs> you. But that's what's a, happening. An unmovable to some, force. To some degree. Well, the, the, the answer to that is an equilibrium is formed. Right. Right. right? Mm -hmm. But in this instance, we're suggesting that that's not the case. And right. I actually do feel their pain. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, even just like talking to Brian, like a lot of these spots, it's just like, yeah, you're right. Like you're running into it here a lot. But do we want to forego the value of the top of our range in order to not run into it kind of thing? And that's where this like pain comes from is that somewhere along the lines, people forgot to uh, explain to anybody playing that it's not only okay to lose, but it's expected. That's what the pot is for. You're being laid a price to lose, right? If you were able to get two to one on betting any favorite any day of the week at the sports book, mm -hmm. but you were losing half the time, you are doing really well. Right, like you're getting late, you're getting an overlay on your bet, in spite of the fact that you only win half the time. I think where the problem and the disconnect comes in is, uh, there maybe when when you try to say, well, you're getting laid this price, they're massively uh, inaccurate in 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 knowing what the actual price is. So right. they always have it. So like if you're getting if you're getting laid three or four to one, <clears throat> they're saying they always have they have it ninety eight. Point nine percent of the time, mm -hmm. where you're, you know, they need to be bluffing, you know, twenty percent of the time. Correct. And they're yeah. saying they're they're not bluffing twenty percent. Right. Time. Right. Yeah. Right. I also think the the other thing that gets overlooked really about if you haven't spent a lot of time working with solvers and you start to think about how they work or you're you're not experienced with them and you kind of have this external perspective on what they are is it you end up ignoring the fact that they are a glorified calculator and it's a question of input and output right so mm -hmm. if you give a solver an input that says a player is playing a certain strategy on a previous street mm -hmm. solver is going to give you an output on the next street that reflects that and if you're looking at the river and you're saying well the solver is telling me i have to call here but my opponent doesn't have these hands you're ignoring the fact that the solver is working with different inputs up to that node, right? The solver is working with a completely different set of parameters leading up to that point. And you obviously can create an input for a solver that replicates the actual inputs at the node that you're talking about. Mm -hmm. And if you do that, the solver will tell you to fold, right? Because the solver is a calculator that calculates max EV for your strategy. So 
if you're if you're talking about are the inputs in the solver different from the inputs in my game the answer is yes right but the um the reality is that the solver is not a tool for you to to just look at it and and purely focus on the output you you aren't looking at it just to try to replicate the output you're looking at it to try to own your ability to turn input into output. And I think that is the huge, that's the biggest disconnect people have right. when, they, exactly. when they don't understand, uh, you know, GTO or whatever versus exploited play versus mm -hmm. my live game. Right. It's it, right. You can't, it's, it's one uh, like perfect, uh, uh, you know, machine playing perfectly against another machine playing perfectly. Yeah. Once you change one of those aspects, then everything else changes. Exactly. So what you're what you're looking to do is is you as a player, mm -hmm. your your logic, your your processes that you use to to make decisions. You're taking in inputs. You're taking in information about the environment, about how people play, about the parameters of a spot, and you're turning that into an output, which is a decision. And over time, you're trying to get more efficient at that. What you're not trying to do is look at an output from a completely different situation with a completely different set of inputs and replicate that. It's the, it's the equivalent of trying to learn you know, some other mathematical technique, trying to learn calculus or something like that, and just memorizing the outputs of a bunch of calculations other people did. You're not trying to do that. You're right. trying to learn how to do the math, how mm -hmm. to do the calculations, except the math is so complex you have to learn it through language. You can't just do it like long division where you just learn a technique and then you get the answer. So right? it, it would be like, so like if then if you, once you understood how, how like, you know, calculus works from top to bottom, once you change a variable here and there, you can understand how the output exactly. changes. Exactly. It's like understanding the relationship between mm -hmm. the inputs and the outputs is the essence of, of getting better at playing poker, really. Right. Because... All you're really doing is you're honing that process and trying to make it more precise, creating more and more ways for your brain to shortcut its way to, to the math, you know, to, <clears throat> excuse me, to be able to do the math in a way that doesn't require you to actually do the math, you know, to, to develop heuristics and protocols that take away the need to actually calculate, oh, what's the percentage of this or that or whatever, and get you pretty close to an accurate IEV decision as often as possible mm -hmm. translating that input into output. Yeah. I think, um, I think like one of the great maybe mistakes or maybe, uh, services, it's difficult to say that the community did was branding GTO, mm -hmm. right? It could be a service because it could just prevent people from ever wanting to go down this hole rabbit hole and getting better, which in essence will preserve live poker forever. Um, yes. but it could be a disservice <laughs> in the sense that, People don't understand the actual working definitions of game theory and exploitative mm -hmm. and the fact that they are uh, a part of the same Venn diagram, right? People describe exploitative play as somebody who is not adherent to theory. Freestyle, if you will. Yeah, and their, their entire purpose is to make the max exploit uh, play against an opponent's strategy that they're quote-unquote clairvoyant over, right? right? That's what the working definition of exploitative is. When you have clairvoyance over a strategy... You now return to theory. You alter the you alter the variables such that you input the clairvoyance, mm -hmm. and now you take the maximum EV line. Right. What's actually happening in practice is people are forced, due to a lack of fundamental knowledge and a lack of understanding of theory principles, they're forced now to take their own biases as law, 
and build a strategy strictly around those biases. So what ends up happening is now they believe something to be true. They have to execute on that belief because they don't have anything else to defer to. Mm -hmm. And when they're wrong, they in turn get maximally exploitative or yeah. exploit uh, exploited. Yeah. So it's just uh, there actually is an equilibrium being reached here to some degree, but nobody actually has any vision over it. And truthfully, what ends up happening is they just exchange EV back and forth at the top of ranges where they ultimately all break even. And then it comes down to who makes the larger mistake with the middle of range. Right. So whose assumptions are closer to true whenever mm -hmm. you fall into that middle portion of range that in theory is actually supposed to be where the break-even stuff takes place. Yeah. Right, exactly. And I, I also think that there's, there's a strong element where people think that exploitative play is all about doing what your hand wants to do right now, mm -hmm. right? And the problem with that is that that ignores the reality that it's a multi-street game because there's plenty of instances where you think about the game through the lens of what your hand wants to do right now. You're going to end up in a situation where once you do that, the next street becomes harder, right? So there, there's all kinds of examples of like, yeah, there's plenty of spots where your hand wants to bet really big to get a lot of money in the pot because your hand is pretty strong right now. But then when the, I don't know, the flush card falls on the turn or whatever, now your hand is in a, a worse spot than if you had checked on the previous street, right? So like you, you can't follow this approach of quote unquote max exploit of doing, doing whatever my hand wants right now because right now is one part of a massive system that is no limit hold'em. And you have to be thinking more, much more about what does my hand want on the aggregate across all the remaining streets than about what your hand wants right now. And the players mm -hmm. who think about the, their hand right now, the, the, the hand-based approach, they just end up getting into so many traps or following, falling, down to, falling down so many lines where... You, you get to the river and you have no bluffs left, right? Because your, your, that's, ha your that's hand it. doesn't want to bluff. There's right. like so many spots where, you, yeah, your hand doesn't want to bluff because your hand is like really weak. Well, it's already but, done it. Right, yeah. It's already like, done the bluffing, yeah. right? And, and this is something that's extremely common in live poker and why nobody really has any vision over the bluffing side of the tree. Somebody in the chat asked for the uh, definition of clairvoyance. It's when you have perfect information, effectively. Right, just knowing your opponent's entire strategy. Yeah, which is obviously impossible, and that's why it's so ridiculous whenever people uh, assert the bias, that right. they know what their opposition and that, is And that's doing. why I make the point about information as well, because whatever information you think you have about your opponent's strategy, you have much less than that. Right. It's just you, an assumption. You really don't right. know. Yeah, exactly. It's assumptions. Now, that being said, I do think that people tend to be pretty good at being able to come up with like a rough assumption. So if we were actually able to think probabilistically instead of binarily like 100 or zero, if we were able to assign probabilistic uh, frequencies to these assumptions, you actually would see really great players who may not even be in touch with theory because what they would ultimately be doing is executing at a theoretical level on their own without the necessary heuristics, right? Mm -hmm. If they say to themselves like, okay, well... I have a pretty good idea that when he checks to me on the river, uh, he check folds about half the time. Well, now your cards don't really matter all that much. Uh, all that really matters is the bet sizing to make it indifferent to where when he check folds, he's losing money, right? Uh, so you just want to bet a size now generally with range where it's like, okay, uh, I, I want him to break even when he calls me. So I'm just going to bet like full pot, right? Because now half the time... Uh, I just win the other half of the time I run my equity versus him. And like, you know, ultimately it comes out in the wash, whatever. Uh, 
or actually it wouldn't be full pot it, whatever whatever lays him uh whatever lays him a spot where uh you know he's basically indifferent in his calls in any event we don't think that way like we don't know those frequencies mm-hmm. we just think like oh when he checks he's weak mm-hmm. when he bets he's strong and and now these emotional words that we're attaching they're not mathematical right they're too binary they're too oh he check called me twice that's really strong so mm-hmm. i'm not going to bluff five high on the end right where the actual nature of the game is i just don't care if you're strong because the equity of five high here is zero right right i, I can never win with five high if i don't try and the irony is that when people are first learning the game and they are learning it through that heuristic of just like top to bottom of what beats what they recognize whenever they land on the river with a hand that can never win. And they'll say things like that. Like, well, I had to go for it. I had, you know, eight high there. I couldn't win otherwise. Right. Mm-hmm. But somehow that gets beaten out of them throughout the course of their, their career because the eight high bluff doesn't work often enough for their liking. In other words, they've been called at some frequency and they don't recognize the times that they're not called. Right. Mm-hmm. Because getting called and losing is so uncomfortable that it trains it out of you to ever want to try it again in the future. Right? Yeah, you lose that impulse to want to make the bluff because you fear the the way it's going to feel if it doesn't work, mm-hmm. right? And you the, the losing always hurts more than the winning feels good, you know? Mm-hmm. Like that's that's the degen aspect of of the way that we all start to learn poker. That like it it feels really bad to just jam the river and get snapped by the nuts, and it feels good to to jam the nuts and get snapped by worse, but it never feels quite as bad as when we beat ourselves <laughs> up over punting, you know? Right. Yeah. Same if like you just get a fold when you have the nuts. It never right. feels as bad as like bluffing because there's no certainty. I was just talking about this yesterday with uh, with a student. Um, this idea that people when you're when people are out of position on the river with the nuts, the thing they hate the most is when they check and you just see a snap check behind. Right. So they they put themselves in positions where they'll do stuff like check call check call lead or they'll they'll like do weird stuff on the river where their their checking range has no nuts in it ever because the absolute most painful thing for them is the the thought that they could have gotten more money but they didn't mm-hmm. right like they could have won more but they only won half of your stack or something you know yeah I, I think that that's really accurate let's uh let's kind of put a bow in this discussion with maybe uh giving us a little insight as to what led to you tweeting this out in the first place yeah it was uh it was a discussion that that was going on on our discord i think about a a game environment where you know it's a sort of home gamey kind of environment where the player knew the opponents pretty well and um was in a in a mindset of building a strategy based off of they, they were talking about building a strategy based off of knowing these players really well having a lot of like live tell stuff uh, which I think I, I called it like cookie tells, like, you know, the, the, Ken, the Teddy KGB cookie thing, right, right, yeah. um, like at the time. Um, and, and they were trying to improve their knowledge of theory and layer theory on top of that. Right. Mm-hmm. And so they were, they were talking about things like, I, well, when this guy seems like he's weak, I'm going to like mix some checking and betting with this hand. And then when he seems like he's really strong, I'm going to like bet this hand more often. And so you're, you're starting to try to like add theoretical elements about mixed strategies on top of the information that you're getting about live tells. And it's the inverse of the framework that we want to be operating by. Right. Because you can't start to, you can't start to, to in, implement that, that framework of inputs and outputs 
you can't start that mathematically when the the inputs are or the foundation is really subjective right when the foundation is stuff like a live tell mm-hmm. where you're saying okay well you know he's 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 got this tell and i i'm trusting this tell implicitly and then i'm going to start adding a mixed strategy on top of that it doesn't make any sense so right. I, I this discussion kind of got me thinking about this yeah i think uh if you want to go down that dangerous path, what's happening is like through the live tell, you're able to hone in on a specific portion of your opponent's range right. that you believe him to have. Mm-hmm. So if it's a weak tell, then you believe him to have the bottom. If it's a strong tell, then you believe him to be concentrated towards the top, right? You just now, in theory, rerun the spot, mm-hmm. right? And now you do it where he's concentrated to those hands, but you can't just eliminate the rest of his range because there's some inaccuracy with your your live tell, right? Right. So if he has a complete range in theory and you think that the tell signifies that he's strong, well, then you just reduce the rest of his range to like maybe 5 or 10% frequency, mm-hmm. right? And then you leave the full concentration of the top and then you rerun the spot and see what the response is because whatever your intuitive mix is in order to maximally exploit what you believe to be his tell, it's wrong. Right. It's going to be very exactly. wrong. And the, the, the foundation of... of I think in one of the points of this discussion, the, the player said something along the lines of like, I'm not trying to learn GTO because that strategy would not work well in my games, which is where I got that, like GTO doesn't work right. in my games things yeah. from. And I think the, the, the problem with that assumption is like, you, if you're saying that, you're saying that if you programmed a bot to play GTO and put it in your game, it would not win. Right. And like, it's an absurd statement because... Mm-hmm a bot would absolutely mash a game like that. Like, I, there was a guy, um, I don't remember who it was. I wish I could remember. But it was like a high, like relatively high-stakes pro. It was like a coach. I think he was maybe a stars pro or something. But it was a few years ago. He did an experiment where he said, I'm going to play, I don't know, it was like 20,000 or 50,000 hands or something of one cent, two cent online. And I'm going to try to implement a GTO approach and see how much I win. And he won at like 52 big blinds per hundred. <laughs> He just obliterated yeah. the game. And it's not because GTO is, is exploiting that environment, because it's not. It's because that environment has so many inherent flaws in how people are approaching the game that even a baseline strategy will absolutely mash it. And of course, if you could teach a bot to exploit that environment, it would probably win double that. That's, right? that's the, really the key point to hone in on there, I think, is that any strategy will just win in that environment. Yeah. So people convince themselves that their quote-unquote exploitative strategy, which it's not even mm-hmm. that, mm-hmm. right? It's just a response to what they observe. Right. They've convinced themselves that that's winning the most. Yeah. When in reality, you have no clue, number one. And number two, it's not performing. Necess- it's not necessarily outperforming what would be a theoretical strategy. The reason why people believe GTO or I, again, I hate that label. The reason why people believe theory doesn't work at low limits is not because everybody else is a defector and they're just like doing things that disrupt the theory. It's because the amount of patience and discipline that's required to play theoretically sound in an environment that's offering you free EV doesn't seem appealing. Mm-hmm. And I can even speak to this because it applies to my games. Sure. Like theoretically speaking, cold calling three bets is a really rare occurrence. But in <laughs> my environment, it's really profitable if you have post swap edge when you're super deep 
because you get to leverage position, you get to leverage your stack depth, you get to leverage a range of hands that is very unknown to your opposition. And if you're sharp, you can actually create situations where like you're able to trap, which, you know, I told a hand on air where I got in 75,000 pre with aces mm -hmm. just because I cold called a three bet. Yeah. Right. And got Queens to stack off in a scenario where like, if I four bet, this just doesn't occur. Right. And I, I think the other part of it as well is that the people are accustomed in a certain game environment. You're accustomed to seeing certain types of situations play out. And a lot of the time it's going to be when the big confrontations happen. What happens in a quote unquote GTO environment or a theoretical environment is a lot of the EV is exchanged in stuff that or in lines or in, in circumstances that in a practical environment will actually not take place at all. So right. for example, the EV will be exchanged when someone takes a line where it goes check, check, flop, and then they bet small on the turn, they get raised, they three bet the turn, like weird stuff like that, that, that doesn't really happen in practice. At some frequency, it's supposed to happen in GTO. And they're hypothetically, if players in this environment were taking those lines, there would be a lot of EV available to, to, to take in those lines, to, to capture in those lines. But because it never happens, it's like a 0% frequency that someone's going to take a certain line in a certain environment. You never get to see exactly how profitable it may or may not be. Right. So it's like a self-perpetuating thing where the equilibrium in that environment, like there's certain things that are supposed to be part of a good strategy that are you never see. So you never get to see how much they actually work and how much money they print. Yeah, I, I think all of that's very well stated. Um, we're going to put a bow on this discussion. It's one that will certainly come up again. There's a lot more to delve into here, but I think that this is a great way to uh, kind of scratch the surface and maybe disprove uh, some misconceptions that are out there. Maybe that's the next show, right? Like what are the most... Uh, what are the largest misconceptions about game theory versus exploitative play? Mm, uh, yeah, I, I think we can go pretty That's deep down that one. rabbit hole. Um, but in any event, thank you guys so much for tuning in. I hope you appreciated today's show. It was a deep, <laughs> deep dive into all things uh, online and live poker. Uh, don't forget that we do have a new episode of Poker Out Loud up on the site for those of you who are members. For those of you who aren't, what the fuck are you waiting for? You know, <laughs> get in there. Let's go. Let's go. Get, get in these streets. Just head over to solveforwide.io and uh, feel free to sign up. We got a lot of free stuff too. You can check out the Academy footage that was just recently put up all for free. You know, it is what it is. Uh, don't forget to comment, like, subscribe, That's leave right. us a little bit of love. It grows the channel. We appreciate it. That's going to do it for us. We'll be back again tomorrow for Thursday's show. It's going to be at noon Pacific, as is our new time for the time being. Uh, look forward to having you guys all here then. We'll see you then. Later, squad. Peace. Peace. Ugh.